Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening, come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. Let's jump right in. We're in Romans chapter 3 today, in the middle part of the chapter. So we'll start back at Romans 1 and read through 3.20. What I'm probably going to do with the Bible reading, since in about three or four weeks, it's going to be challenging to continue starting from Romans 1.1 and reading all the way through and still having time to talk about the text for that week, uh, is once we get to the next big major section of Romans, just doing a quick summary of what we've done before, and then reading that next section as we go through the next section. So, And we'll talk about those next sections as we kind of start to move into them. Uh, so let's start with Romans 1.1, and we'll go through 3.20. <clears throat> Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit, in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but have thus far been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 
Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Therefore you have No excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge and practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also to the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you are yourself a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law an embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision uh, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Then what advantage has the Jew? 
or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness, does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why, do not, why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So first, thanks to Doug for teaching for me last week. I appreciate that. Um, If you have not read his text that he taught last week out loud, it is a tongue-twisting nightmare of unrighteousness and righteousness. So um, I challenge you to get through that orally without a hiccup. I have yet to do it. I practice this and practice this and practice this, and I have yet to do it. So um, it's a tricky text. So today, um, I'll I'll tell you right up front why I'm wearing the t-shirt that I'm wearing today. Uh, Today is all black. Today is just darkness. Today is we have spent uh, two and a half chapters summarizing and condemning everybody under the sun. And we summarize that today in today's text. So it's a, we're going to filter this group out. We're going to filter this group out. We're going to filter this group out. Nobody's left. Oh, and just in case you missed it, you're all guilty. Um, so that's, that's where we're going. The, the last part of the handout today is all about guilt. So if you came for guilt and shame, today is your lesson. So that's where we are. All right, so Bible study is all about asking and answering questions, so let's ask some questions. Um, we're gonna, we've read the text, we're going to explain, apply, personalize, and then do our table prayer time. So uh, Amy Velosen sent me a really, really cool uh, quote this week from Hughes. Uh, today's text, if you look at the text, so stay on the front side of the handout for just a couple minutes. We're going to be there for a few minutes. If you look at verses, see the end of verse 10, where it says, As it is written... And then you see the quotation mark at the beginning of that none is righteous. And then you see how the, and it's hard to see on my handout because I've got all these, this black text in there. But do you see how the, the text of verses 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 is all kind of indented just a little bit? That's, that's all quotations from something. And when the New Testament quotes something, what's it quoting? The Old Testament, right. Because the New Testament didn't really have like, all the New Testament. It was piecemealed out. Uh, all over the place. But it's not just one quote. We sometimes think that you have to quote one big long piece of scripture to really get the point. And what Paul is doing here is it's called a uh, chara, charaz, C-H-A-R-A-Z. 
It's called a chiraz. Uh, it's literally stringing together pearls. And I don't know if you have... Uh, has anybody ever strung together pearls? Just a question. Have you ever put together a necklace like this? Maybe that's a more general... T- you, not like that? Uh, well, I don't know how this works. I found this picture on the internet. But this is in the middle of the process. And at the end of the process, you have something that is beautiful. Right? So what Paul is doing here is he's taking little bits of text of this Hebrew poetry all through the Psalms and through Isaiah and saying, I'm going to pull this out, I'm going to pull this out, and I'm going to pull this out, I'm going to pull this out, and I'm going to pull this out. And I've got a challenge for you. Because we get tempted to communicate truth this way, and when we do it improperly, it's called proof texting. It's called taking a piece of scripture and saying, I'm going to take one little small snippet, I'm going to build all my theology around that, and this is why this is true. And generally the conclusion is, and this is why I'm right and you're wrong, which is where we're really kind of getting to in most of these cases. Uh, And what Paul is doing here is he's taking lots and lots. So he talks from Psalm 14, Psalm 5, 9, Psalm 10, Isaiah 59, lots of different texts here to pull out and to show the Jews, because this is who he's talking to in chapter 2 and still chapter 3, I think, to show the Jews, I'm not teaching something new to you. This has always been this way. Man is bad. Man is guilty. Man is under condemnation and under wrath. So this, this literary technique that we see right here is called stringing pearls. It's called shara, C-H-A-R-A-Z. Uh, all right, so what do the words mean? So let's, let's get to the words. So all right, so you got your hand out there. Uh, what then? Are we Jews any better off? So are we excelling? Are we better? So no, not at all. Not at all. No doubt. No way. For we have already charged or proven before uh, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So here's your first blank. So sin or offense. And if you're, we struggle sometimes, I think, because we, we view sin lightly. It's not a big deal. We brush it off. It's okay. It's not a problem. And sometimes we talk to each other this way in forgiveness that is good. We should be quick to forgive. But sometimes we diminish the significance and severity of sin itself. And if you, if you want to look at the significance and the severity of sin, where do we look? Like what, part of, like what, what story in Scripture illustrates for us the significance and severity of sin? The cross, yes. It, this, the cross shows us what God views, how he views sin. And how it has to be handled. It either, you have to have a perfect, infinite sacrifice, or, or you have an individual, eternal sacrifice. So somebody's going to pay for our sin. Either Jesus is going to pay for our sin, or we're going to pay for our sin. I vote Jesus. Because that's literally what he came for. He came to pay for, or to take the wrath of God towards sin and the sinner, and it is an offense. So when we see sin, and sin and faith are kind of just lightly sprinkled through the first couple of chapters of Romans. He's kind of teasing us with what he's going to have happen uh, later on in the book. Um, So both Jews and Greeks are under sin. So we're under sin. We're underneath this thing. As it is written, and then he goes into these uh, passages here. So this is from Psalm 14. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one Seeks for God. That word seeks is to search out or to investigate, to crave or demand, uh, to seek after. Um, I think about, I don't know how many of you saw the TV show, uh, I think they had several made for TV movies that were awful. Columbo? You ever seen Columbo? 
and, and the guy just would not stop asking questions. He'd get done, he'd, he'd interrogate somebody and ask and ask and ask. He'd, he'd go to leave and he would say what? One more thing. One more thing. Just one more thing. And this was the question that was going to get you. This was the question that the person didn't see coming because you, I don't know if you ever noticed, if you go back and watch the body language of the people that Columbo was interrogating, when he would turn to walk away, they would kind of like, okay, good, he's about to go. And then one more thing, and he's got them relaxed. And now that they're relaxed, he's going to hit you between the eyes with it. And this is actually what Paul does in chapter 2. He rails against the Gentiles. He rails against humanity. And he says, Jews, are you special? And they're thinking, yeah, we are. We're special. And, and they were special. But they're not exempt. And there's a difference between being special and being exempt. So we're going to talk about special and exempt at the end of the lesson today. Um, but back to here. None, no one, none, no one, no one seeks for God. So if I think that I am saved because I, in my infinite wisdom, saw the beauty of the gospel and initiated a relationship with God and sought after him, I am deeply and woefully confused about what started the application of my redemption. Because I did not initiate. He initiated. Now, it takes about 10 seconds for this to make all kinds of logical sense. When did God the Father start the process of redeeming mankind? We could at least say at minimum in the garden. I would say before the foundation of the earth was laid. But it was certainly before any of us in this room showed up. So I cannot possibly say that I took the original initiative in my salvation. Nope. So if... I didn't seek him. How'd we meet? Isn't this amazing? What's that? He called. That's right. Exactly. The Holy Spirit hovers looking to bring forth life, seeking and drawing and pulling. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. But we need to be slapped. I need Jim. Hi, my name's Jim. Need to be slapped upside the forehead very regularly with the gospel to be reminded that this is not because of me. It's not because of me. No, none is righteous. No, not one. Now, Paul's what? He's a what? He's a lawyer. And he is building an airtight defense, an accusation against all of mankind here. So where do you fit if none is righteous? No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. You know what the word turned aside means? It means deviated. I declined from piety. It's the idea that I see something that is good and right, and I say, nope, I'll pass. Uh, I was at a dinner a couple of weeks ago with, at work, and we had uh, appetizers on the table. And they had oysters uh, that were raw. I, I am I, what, no part of this, right? So it's being passed around, and I pass, right? Have you ever done this at the table with something that came to you and you went, there is no way I'm eating this. Pass. This is what this is. I have turned aside. Piety, righteousness came by me, and I passed on it. 
I snubbed my nose and said, I don't want any part of that. This is exactly my face. That, the face that you just made, Jessica, was my face when I saw the definition of this word. I was like, ooh. Because, oh, we're going to get to that in a second. All right. All have turned aside. Together they have become, and the ESV is just blunt here. Just really, I mean, blunt. Um, worthless. Absolutely worthless. The, the Hebrew here actually has an implication of uh, milk that's gone bad. So I don't know how many of you are cooks, but what do you do with milk that's gone bad? Can you? That's awful. <laughs> All right, I have what in my hand? A laptop. All right, is it plugged into the wall? Yes. Can you? Is it powered right now? Can you see if it's powered right now? It's got power going to it. Uh, it looks like we were shopping at the loft, right? This is typical browser tab that's open at my house at any time on my wife's computer. Uh, so what happens if I unplug the power cord? What should happen if I unplug the power cord? It should continue. Why? Because there's a battery in it, right? Okay. For a long time, I have taught that connection with God, that, that our worth, we are powered by a connection with God. All right? I think this is wrong because I don't think that's the right way to do this. I think a better way to do this is to actually pull the battery out. I may not be talented enough to do this. Doug, can you help me out here? There we go. Now, did, it, did you hear it? You heard this? Yes. So, Amy, buy what you want. <clears throat> Surf the loft. Can you get to the loft now? No. What value does this device have at this point? Nothing. It is worthless. Now, you could scrap it for parts, right? Sure. But like, if I wanted to use worthless, us. Right? It's us. And what does he do? He said, he said, I want that. And he, he gives us something that empowers us. And he gives us connection to himself. And he changes everything so that we might have life. So that we can shop at the loft. <clears throat> Because he has the power. Thank you very much. I knew there was something deficient. I did not. The whole analogy was, was like 85% there, and that was the rest of it. So thank you for that. I love you guys. All right. No one does good. Well, I do some good, right? Like a little bit of good. Come on. There's a little bit of good there, right? Now, we deceive ourselves into thinking that we do good. Like we really, really do. No one does good. Not even, not even one. Do you notice how small the words are here in English for these verses that he's quoting? Um, if, you, if you want to study Paul's Greek, 
study the quotes that he has of somebody else's writing. <laughs> it's a lot easier Greek to study because the words are literally smaller. The sentence structure is significantly easier, and it's a great place to start. Do not jump right off into Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 is exceedingly complicated. It is like really uh, complex stuff. So verse 13, their throat, who's, who's there? The no ones. Yes, I like that. The no ones, their throat, the Greek word there is larynx, uh, is an open grave. What do you do with graves? You put dead stuff in it, right? They use their tongues to deceive. The venom or the poison of asps. Anybody know what an asp is? It's not a word you probably use very often. The English word for asps is kind of appropriate. <laughs> it's a snake, right? Yeah. Uh, this word technically means like a coiled up thing. I don't know much about snakes. When do snakes coil up? Anybody know? Before they strike? The venom of asps is under their lips. What's under your lips? It's under your lips. Their mouth is full. Now, this word is not just a, oh, it's kind of full. This word is the swelled up full of curses. All right, so this word, uh, another way to translate this word is prayer. Yes, that's exactly what I was hoping for, Stephen. Thank you very much. Another word to translate this word is prayer. Uh, there are types of prayers in the Bible called imprecatory prayers. And this is where someone prays, and the cloud here I think represents God, prays to God for lightning to strike someone else. <laughs> um, and you're going, no, that's not in the There's a lot of these. <laughs> this is called being candid with God. And if you have ever read from Psalm 1 all the way through to Psalm 150, you will run across some and you go, wait, 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 what? How is that in the Bible? Like, like David prays at one point for, because uh, the, the, the enemies of God are cursing God. So David prays that God would break their teeth in their mouths. And I've been mad at people before, but like, God, I want you to break their teeth. Break their teeth? I mean, this is before dental people were around to kind of help out. I mean, you break your teeth, you're done at that point. You're just, you got a hole or holes, right? I mean, this is break their teeth in their mouth. I gave you a couple of Psalms here to go look up on your own. Um, Psalm 69 and 109, uh, they're called imprecatory prayers, imprecatory Psalms. Um, it's basically praying down curses on others. So what does it say about their mouths? Their mouths are full of that. The only kind of prayers that they pray are prayers for God to smite somebody or hurt somebody. So if we, I'm a, you guys know I'm a numbers guy. So if we diagram the volume of prayers that you pray, what percentage should be the imprecatory prayers? I'm going to say not the majority. I'm just going to, I'm going to firmly stand on not the majority, right? And their mouths are full of this. Okay, full of curses and precatory prayers and bitterness. Um, the, the Hebrew, I mean, the, the Greek word here is uh, acridity. Uh, it's 
Have you ever walked past a building that has just burned down? And when you smell something, you can almost taste it in your mouth, and there's this burning, like you, you, and it hurts. This is what's coming out of their mouths. What's coming out of their mouth, I think Paul does an interesting thing here. He uses something that is typically associated with a sense of taste for the hearing and speech. Um, but these are words that leave a stinging feeling in others' ears. Which, if all of your prayers are imprecatory psalms, I think that's probably going to be consistent, right? You, people are not going to be going, you know, go to this person. They're, they're really positive and encouraging, uplifting. No, not, they're just going to pray down hellfire and damnation. That's not okay. Um, verse 15, their feet are swift or keen or attuned to shed, to gush out blood. So I am praying down curses, and when I see an opportunity, I'm going to hurry up to go hurt. Verse 16, in their paths or in their road, in their journey, are ruin. This is complete ruin, destruction, and misery, calamity. I can't read the word misery without thinking Stephen King, so I'll just leave that one out there. <clears throat> and the way, the road, the distance, same word is used in verse 16, of peace they have not known. And that's sad. That's really, really sad. I mean, this, you, you are describing someone who is not righteous, who doesn't understand, who doesn't seek after God, who's turned aside, who's become worthless, is not doing good. Uh, their throat's an open grave. Their tongue's used to deceive. The venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of imprecatory prayers. They are bitter. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their path is ruin. Their path is misery. They've never known peace. This is awful. There is no fear, no phobos of God before their eyes. Now, this is a neat word, the eyes. Um, the word here is for vision or eyes or sight or envy. It's from the jealous side glance. So you've, we've all been here, right? <laughs> Didn't say even, it says evil. <laughs> don't, don't skip past the quote. <laughs> this is that look that you see or give every once in a while and you go... Wait, wait, what? I don't know about that. And there is no fear of God in their side glances. They are confident and cocky in sin. Because if I decide to pass on righteousness, what happens? I'm going to fester in my own sin. It's not going to get better on its own. Pagans over time don't get better. Right? This is just it's not how the universe works. It's not how the universe works. Verse 19. So now we know, we behold, we consider that whatever the law, the nomos, there's the word again, whatever the law says, whatever it describes, whatever it puts forth, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth, either mouth or language, may be stopped, may be fenced in or enclosed or blocked up to silence, to stop, that the whole world may be held accountable, may be under sentence or condemned, that the whole world may be guilty to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. Now, you might be justified in your eyes, but you won't be justified in his sight before his face. Because eventually, at some point, it will matter before his face. Since through the law, 
Here, here it is. Here it is. This is really important. Comes knowledge of sin. That's why we have the law. You're going, well, what's all that for? To show us we're sinners. <laughs> and what does Paul do? Paul goes back and he summarizes the whole thing. And he says, we're bad, we're evil, we're short, we don't do good, we're not righteous. Duh, 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 all the way down. I'm going to skip on down to the back side of the handout real quick. Kroll was on target this, this week, wasn't he? It was really good. It was really good. So Paul continues with his trial to determine guilt or innocence. The charge, the whole world is innately sinful. But is there enough evidence for a guilty verdict? Next come the indictments. How many are there? Don't answer. How many are there? Count them up. How many charges does he lay, does he lay against the world here? You've got to look at the text for this one. It's double digits. Some of you are going, a lot. <laughs> yes, it's a lot. What do you think? 14 is the number. Yes, very good. I would hope the auditor would get that right. That's <laughs> I had faith in you. <clears throat> so what's the verdict? Guilty. That's right. Wearsby calls this text an x-ray study of the lost from head to foot. Because their feet run to sh shed blood and talks about their tongues and their mouths. and their. I want to make sure that I cover one idea here because this is going to be important later on. Uh, verse 10 there, the second part of verse 10 says, None is righteous, no, not one. What about Adam before he sinned? Big difference, big difference, big difference. Innocent is not the same as righteous. Innocent is zero. Righteous is positive. Sinful is negative. Adam started out at zero. He didn't start out with the positive righteousness of Christ. We do not exist apart from God. It's not the way this works. And when we try to, things don't work well, so you say, what's the point? All right. So number one, all men are sinners. Would we agree? Is there any wiggle room in Paul's case here? No. Like, yeah, but there's a little, there's a little, no, there's no daylight. That's why he says no one about 65 times in this text, right? So what do we do with that? Well, know that we are all sinners, right? We are guilty. Hello, my name is Jim. I'm guilty. This is helpful to actually put your name and say this to yourself from time to time. Just to remember, I'm guilty. Uh, no one is righteous. So what do you think blank number two is? We are not righteous, yes. And we are not exempt either. You are not special. You are not a beautiful or unique snowflake. <laughs> you are the same decaying organic matter as everything else. It's always good when I can get a fight club quote past Darla. Um, <clears throat> number three, every part of man is sinful. 
So every part of us is sinful and unrighteous. And the law shows us our sinfulness. The law is that full-length mirror that we get to look into right before we walk out the door to make sure everything is good. And the law says, guilty. So be thankful for the law. Because the law came along and taught us our ABCs so that we could meet Jesus. So that when we met Jesus, we would recognize who is God and who is not. Because it's not us. It's him. Now, I told you that we wouldn't make it uh, to Easter before things got good. But we're going, to, we're going to see a glimmer of something positive in next week's text. And for some of you, you're going to go, you're, you've been gasping for air. I, I can watch you in class. You're like clawing toward the surface of the water going, somebody give me some oxygen. We are going to see Jesus next week. So this is good. But Paul waterboards us with guilt and wrath and shame and, and more wrath until we come up gasping for air. And who is our Savior? Jesus is the Savior. So it is good. This is good for us. So uh, that's the lesson for today. Thank you for coming to Sunday School. Make sure your names are at the bottom of that weekly update. Uh, lean in, engage, pray as a table. And when you have finished praying as a table, uh, you are dismissed. So thanks for coming, guys. Oh, one more thing. I almost forgot. On your, you, you reminded me. You didn't know you reminded me, but you reminded me. Uh, there are some bold red letters there on that current needs for the uh, weekly update. So we have an opportunity to get some meals over to uh, Grant and Bree's house. They had a baby. Woo-hoo. Uh, and the baby is good, right? Maddox. That's an awesome name. It's like, he's here today? That's fantastic. Cool. So uh, we're going to help, and we help with meals. That's what help looks like. Help looks like food. We're Baptists. So uh, you can follow that link, bit.ly slash Friar Meals 2017, because I had a bit.ly slash Friar Meals, and that took me to like a couple years ago for Henley. So I was like, I can't reuse that, so i got to have a new one. So uh, Friar Meals 2017, Uh, sign up and engage on that. And that's good. So pray at the table, and you're dismissed. Thanks for coming today, guys.